just grateful that you're here with us this morning. It's a new day. It looks a little bit like last Sunday, but it's a brand new one. And uh, we haven't spent it yet, and I just pray that we would spend it just glorifying the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's faithful to be with us, and today's Veterans Day. It threw me off because when I stood up, the clock said 11, 11, and I thought, well, that's interesting because this that, that's Veterans Day, right? It's like it's 11, 12 now, if you don't believe me. It's been about a minute since I saw it. Uh, but then I saw Bob doing some kind of meditation up there. And, uh, but I just want to appreciate the veterans. Do we have any veterans here today Anyone that served in the U.S. Armed Forces in any capacity? Are you here today? We've got a few hands. Let me see hands. Let's give these guys an applause. Thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Some people say it's just a job, it's just a career, but it's much more than that. It's a voluntary choice that you made to go and to fight for the cause of freedom. I don't know if you've traveled much, but if you have, you recognize that whatever's broken about America, it's still the place that we have the greatest level of personal freedom, or we've had it. There's still certain parts of it that still have it, but other parts are losing that personal responsibility to live a life that as long as it doesn't harm other people's lives, you're free to live it. And that's an amazing privilege and a gift, and it didn't come without sacrifice. It didn't come without a price. And there's men and women who have given their lives, and then there's those who've simply served, and we're willing to give their life. And that's why we honor our veterans. It's not, we don't believe in pacifism. The kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of pacifists. It's a kingdom of righteous warriors. Just read the book for yourself, and you'll see what I mean. Don't go by hearsay or what people think it is or was. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent will take it or move forward in it through force. It doesn't just come to those who are asleep. We have to wake up and stand to the cause and be willing to give the ultimate sacrifice if need be to stand for the one who stood for us. Who knows that our spiritual freedom didn't come cheap either. You aware of that. It cost Jesus. It bankrupt heaven. Jesus came and expired here. Even though he was sinless, he was treated as a criminal, and he took a place for us on that cross, and he sacrificed himself so that we could be free to choose him or to reject him. It's still our choice. There's nothing mandated by his act. It was an act. It was a gift, and it's by grace that we can receive it. And I just encourage you today, be thinking of those who've gone before us, whether it's in the natural or natural vets that we so appreciate, but also the spiritual Maybe it was a praying grandma or a praying mom or dad or whoever it was. There was someone in your background, most likely, that interceded on your behalf. In almost every case, someone can point to somebody that they knew was praying for them when they were in whatever mess they were in. It's powerful to recognize these things. Those are the veterans of our faith. And I know we've been looking in, in Peter chapter 1. And I think as a segue there, that's probably a, a okay time for... I always pick on her when she just stops abruptly, so I feel like that probably is a good enough spot to uh, try to get my focus here. Because I know the Lord is speaking to us. Some of it's nice, some of it's things that we want to hear, and some of it's just warnings. You know that the gift uh, of having a microphone is to admonish 
and encourage. Those are the two realities of the speaking gift. If someone's speaking and you're listening to them, are they encouraging you or are they admonishing you? Because those are the two scriptural references for the purposes of addressing a group of people. It's either two, and hopefully it's both. Usually they go together. It's not one or the other, but they're mixed together in some way. But the scripture is very clear. The mandate was to warn every man and to teach every man. That's what Paul said he had to do. There's, a, there's an urgency to the day that we live in, and some are oblivious to it, and that's uh, their loss. Hopefully they're not caught off guard too badly and, and miss the reality of what this is. This is a cosmic struggle of good versus evil, and it's to the death. I'm glad you're encouraged by that. Better to know it than to be caught off guard. Many are caught off guard. They're caught unawares. The schemes of the enemy that take them out and they just are like, whoa, didn't see that one coming. Well, you could have if you were understanding that the word is there to warn us that things are not always just going to drift on aimlessly, but there is a purpose for which you were born. There's a reason you're here, not just in this room, but on earth right now. If there was no purpose for you to be here, um, your life is drab and you're wondering what's the point. It's to come to the realization that there is a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's in Christ. He has the purpose for your life. You maybe didn't find it for yourself, or you found one that didn't turn out very well, but he has a perfect plan for you. His plan will fulfill a part of you that goes beyond just a paycheck or a career or the size of your family or the size of your vacation. Uh, it does, all these things are just part of our life. They are not the substance of it. And we've got to get to a place of faith where we realize this temporary reality called life is just a proving ground so that we're getting ready for the place that Jesus has prepared in the heart of the Father for us. And as we begin to go through Peter chapter 1, I mean, the, the, the essence of what we, I think we made it to uh, like verse 18 or something so far. Uh, it's only been, I think, three Sundays that we've really focused on Peter chapter 1. And we're going to continue today, but... It just already, he's just, he starts out with this way of living that a natural person can't do, but a holy person who's born again can do, and he's beginning to talk about the difference and the distinction between the two, and as we finish, hopefully, chapter one today, keep this idea in mind that there are two lives you can live. There's the one you were born with, and there's the one you were born again with. There's two different kinds of people on planet Earth. There's two different kinds. There's just regular homo sapiens that were born of a father and a mother, and they can trace their descendancy back to Adam and Eve, okay? Then there's those who have been born again, not of that seed, but of a new seed, an incorruptible seed. We're going to read that in Peter this morning, and there's a contrast and a difference between the two of them. One, we may look all the same, but there is a treasure that's placed inside just earthen normal vessels called the, the, the treasure of heaven, which is the new seed, the incorruptible life that we get to live by faith, or not, but it's through faith that we can live this life. It's a spiritual life. It's not walking according to the flesh and the natural means, but a life lived according to faith in the spirit that goes beyond what we see with our natural senses, but it's the one that's eternal and we get to sample it now by faith. I don't know if that excites you or not, but it's certainly, when you look at a drab, kind of a dismal sort of day out there, we need something to get excited about. And if you think it's the weather it dictates how your mood is, you just haven't realized the reality of this life is that it's here now, but it's also there then. <laughs> All right, so we'll turn to uh, Hebrews. No, we won't. Sorry, I was just, that's the last word I saw on my notes. We're going to turn to uh, Peter. Assuming you guys aren't hogging all the internet here, my tablet will actually take us there. There we go. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, so I said verse 17, right? 18. So we'll start in 17. I think that's where it starts with a, a complete thought. Peter, remember, is a veteran of faith. He's a veteran. He has a lot of scars. The, the heroes of our faith were not men who lived a life above the challenges of everyday life, but they were in a battle for their souls and for the souls of those who they would preach to. And often it wasn't pretty. They were in prison. They were beaten. They were falsely accused. They were mocked. They were stoned and treated in every kind of miserable way, but they had a purpose and a plan in mind, and it was to obey the call God placed upon their life to preach the gospel, whether it was comfortable or not. And so Peter fought a fight, a good fight of faith, and same as many of the other brothers of the early church. And so in verse 17, he's writing this to believers, to those who'd been dispersed through persecution. And so it's, it's one of those cool letters where it wasn't just written to one group of people. Paul often would write a letter, the Apostle Paul, to a specific church in a specific location. Peter is writing to, he says, if we go back to the beginning, the elect who were in many areas, they were all part of the dispersion. They started in Jerusalem and they were kicked out all over the world. And so He's writing this to them, and so this is all different types of cultures that he's addressing, and uh, the message stays the same, though, and it's a very basic message, and I just hope it's something that in this culture that we live in, the day and age that we find ourselves in, that we can attach ourselves to something permanent through these encouraging words that Peter writes to us. And in verse 17, he says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, no favoritism in God, he judges fairly. He's the only one that can do it. That's why he says, don't you judge. I'll be the judge. Uh, don't, don't worry about that. I'll handle that part of, of this life that we live. Too bad we couldn't learn that one more effectively. But he says, uh, the father judges without partiality, without um, favoritism, according to each one's work. And because of that, we ought to conduct ourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. That's the first type of homo sapien. They were just born into this life and they're likely going to just live out a life that looks like what their mom and dad lived, but with the latest technology and the latest abilities that take them to another place. And it's just a regular natural reproduction of the species. Just a pure animal species. Homo sapiens is what science has called us. But in verse 19, he says, but we've not been redeemed by those things that you can work and wander through life looking for, according to what we were born in, but we were redeemed by or with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you see the two, the two precious realities of life? This aimless conduct that's trying to redeem the time we were given and gather more things, and this other reality that those who've been born again, who've been redeemed by non-corruptible things, but the blood of Jesus Christ, that there's a different type of person that's created in that moment of faith. And so he says in verse 19, but we were redeemed with this blood as of a lamb without blemish and spot. In verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who, through him, believe in God. I'm going to stop there for a minute. It says, who, through him, believe in God. Many people are willing to believe in God through their hard works. Or I believe in God through meditation. Or I believe in God through science. Or they believe in a God through some other way. 
Peter's writing to those who have come to understand the connection to God came through Jesus Christ. He says, through him we believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Our faith and our hope are in who? You sure? A lot of folks get thrown when they realize our faith and our hope are in him or they're in ourselves and the systems of this world and ultimately we will let ourselves down. Or someone else will let you down. This life will let you down. God, when our faith and hope are in him, we receive and we walk into this glory that Jesus received because God raises him from the dead. And so now in verse 22, it starts with the word since. So everything that's going to follow this word is, is pointing back to it, it doesn't work unless the first part is fulfilled, okay? So in verse 22, let me see if this will open here. Since you have purified yourselves, or your souls, sorry. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Wouldn't it be nice if God just did everything for us? Maybe, maybe we wouldn't like some of the stuff that he would do for us. That's why he gives us, uh, we get to maintain our free will. Think about that, though. It says that you have purif- since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, your soul becomes pure as you obey the truth. We sang that the truth is marching on. We were asked, would we walk along with the truth as he wa- marches and does what he is going to do? Because the truth will always win. The truth will set you free, and it will set this planet free. However, will we march with truth, or at which point will we say that's too risky, that's too dangerous, that's too non-politically correct? It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Thankfully, we don't get to do it in our own strength. We do it in his. But wouldn't it be nice if God did everything for us? What if we didn't have to purify our own souls through the obedience to the truth that he puts out there for us to follow? Think about that for a minute, though. It didn't wasn't the cross enough? You think it's really fair to ask God to do more when we look at the cross and we see what Jesus has already done? Think about it in light of that. When you pray and you ask the Lord for something, think about it in light of what was provided for at the cross because everything that we need was provided for there. And so if we attach ourselves by faith to that moment when Jesus said it's finished, we can access all things that pertain to life and godliness through faith because it was a completed work and it was made available to us in heavenly places. And so if we need something further from the Lord, if we want him to purify our soul, maybe we're asking him to do too much. Maybe we're not applying what's actually already been given to us. Think about it. Here's soap. Here's running water. Here's the shampoo. Go ahead and get yourself clean. That's essentially what he's saying. There's always an element to this that you have to be willing to go along with. There's an obedience factor in this walk. Otherwise, it's just this weird puppet on a string and we just, he just kind of does it all for us. He did the cross for us. After that, there is application, there is a walking through, there is obedience that must follow, or you're listening to a message that just makes it convenient, perhaps. I think Jesus did enough on the cross. I'm sorry. Maybe watch the Passion of the Christ. Maybe get your your heart and mind and your physical body around what happened on that cross that day. 
and think about the reality of what was already accomplished and done and then study the prophets and see what's promised to us because of that, that we're healed because of what happened on that day. Read Isaiah 53. Read about the provision and the promise that's come to our lives before we just go out and look for God to, well, Lord, just purify my heart. I remember there was a song, Pure. You're missing the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He has taken the old and crucified it with him, and now you can be brand new, and you can walk in a newness of life that's part of the new creation miracle. That's why it's a miracle. Or you can just go around wondering, why, is, why are you obeying the truth? It says that your soul will be purified continuously as you're obeying the truth. I mean, John says the same thing in his epistle in 1 John chapter 1. Listen, he says, if we have fellowship with Jesus and we walk in darkness, if we say that we have fellowship, sorry, and we still walk in darkness, it says that we lie and we don't practice the truth. We're not walking in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, if. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross was enough to take care of everything that we need taken care of in our lives. If you think God needs to do one more thing to that, you've missed the power of the cross and the power of one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ. You've missed it. And so repent and go back to that place and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm living out of this place of selfishness and I feel like I need more from you. You've already done enough. And now I can walk through the truth of what you're giving me and find my soul purified. Find my mind purified. Find my body washed, as, as John says, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ that's cleansing us continuously as we walk in the light, not in the darkness. You can veer off the path at any point you want and walk in the darkness. Don't expect the promises of what's written here to apply to you in that place because they don't. I'm sorry if you've been deceived in some weird doctrine, but this is the truth of Scripture. This is just what's been written by the veterans of our faith. And I want us to get our heart around this reality that there's a part in this that we have to do. Or we sit frustrated and we point at each other, we point at the Lord and we say, well, this isn't working. Is your soul being purified as you obey the truth that's been shown to you? Because if you're not walking in truth, the promises just don't apply. Man, I wish it, was, I wish it could be like some of these great, they're great orators and they have these great messages, but they're, not the Bible, they're, they're too selective of what they've cut out of place to piece together. It's sort of like a Frankenstein of a gospel. It's not just the real raw what's written. And it loses its power, loses the power to transform somebody and bring them into the kingdom of light instead of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus made the way, but we get to choose whether we walk in it or not. His plan is just so simple. Follow me, listen to me, and your soul will continue to be purified. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Most of us have some part of that three that's out of whack in some way. Your soul is dealt with through the obedience to the truth of what God's word reveals to be true. So let's stop looking other places. Let's just get in there and let's just let it speak to us and let it do what it has to do. The second part of that verse, it says, I, I love how he starts with, since you've purified your souls in obe obeying the truth through the spirit. Again, it's through the spirit. It's not through your own strength. You can't do this life in the flesh. That's why you were given the Holy Spirit. But he says, since you've done that, now there should, there's a sincere love of the brethren, and we are to love one another fervently with a pure heart. You cannot love someone fervently with a pure heart if your soul is impure. 
You purify your soul through obeying the truth, and then you have something to offer a brother or a sister. Until that point, you really don't, because as soon as they're having a bad hair day, you're just as offended as they are. And that's not the answer. Either we're walking in grace or we're not. We're walking in the goodness of the love of Christ with a pure heart if we have obeyed the truth and allowed for our soul to be purified. Otherwise, there's a string attached. It's like, oh, I'll put up with your whatever because I'm trying to get something from you. It's not love. Love genuinely considers someone else as more important than oneself. Think about that. The Bible gives us the definitions of what actual love is. It's not always fun to talk about because you realize without the grace of God, none of us can do it that way. In verse 23, one of my favorite pieces of scripture, one of the things that helped me get free from old ways of, of theology and just things that kept me in, in a place of being afraid and fearful about my own salvation. In verse 23, Peter says this. He says, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, not Adam and Eve's one that we inherited as we breathed our first breath, not that one, but we've been born again. Not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. There's a transition that begins to happen as Peter begins to go forward. He's continually putting in front of us, there's this temporary life of the natural seed. And there is a new reality called brand new life, called new creation, called being born again of an incorruptible seed. Jesus speaks about this. This isn't some fringe idea that just came to Peter because he had some bad food in prison. This is a, it's a theme throughout the New Testament. There is a new birth. Nicodemus couldn't get his head around it. Jared was sharing last week. It's not just going back in and trying to get back inside so we can get born again by our natural mother. It's got nothing to do with that. It has to do with a spiritual rebirth where God miraculously births us again by his spirit and puts that new creation back into an earthen vessel so we have heaven's treasure in a body of clay. The body of clay is still the body of clay. But who are we really? What's the part of us that lives forever? It's not our bodies. We know that. As we age, we begin to realize and be more grateful that it's not going to continue to be on the course that our bodies are on. And we're not stuck with that, just continually degrading until we just go back into dust someplace and not even able to function. There is a promise of a life after this that goes far beyond what we experience in this natural world. And that's what Peter has tasted. That's what he's heard from the Lord when he was with him. And that's why he's sustained even though he's locked up and being imprisoned and being treated miserably for his faith, for doing good. Most of us just can't handle that. I'm sorry, I have a hard time. You do something really good for somebody, really kind, and then just throw it back in your face. Is that, man, you let your guard down and you just try to demonstrate some aspect of, of Christ's love for someone, and all of a sudden they spin and they just attack you. You're like, whoa, that's the test of whether you're working in agape Christ kind of love or whether you're working just in something that you thought would be a good idea. It's revealed in a, in a moment because if the same attitude that comes out of us that's, that's coming out of our flesh is the primer that we weren't giving them Christ. We weren't giving them the attitude that thinks they're more important and more valuable than we are. So Philippians says, let this attitude be in you, this mind that was in Christ Jesus who didn't consider, right? We, go, we can go right, go right through that. We have to consider others as more valuable. It's like, don't worry about me. I'll wash your feet. 
didn't come to be served, but to serve. This is the attitude of Christ. And I feel like in this, in this, this intense generation that we're living in where the good and the evil are being played out, some of it on a political arena, and we can easily forget because it seems like there's these two sides. There's good and there's evil. I can tell you for sure there is some sides of both parties. There is such self-righteousness and arrogance. If you don't think it exists on both sides, you need to meet some more people. <laughs> Expand your circle of friends. There are attitudes on both sides of this that are such a spit in the face of what we're supposed to live out based on what Jesus told us we're supposed to do and how we're to love. And you realize self-righteousness is a pharisaical spirit. Where because we know we're on the right side, it gives us the right to crucify the one who came to redeem everybody to himself through the preaching of the gospel. I understand one side's primarily anti-gospel. They're anti-followers. They want to persecute us and put us in prison and institutionalize those who dare to have faith in this God called Jesus. I get that. It doesn't mean that everyone... You know what I'm saying? Be careful. Pride and self-righteousness can creep in in the most insidious way. And the next thing you realize, you think it's back to works and it's back to your beliefs and it's back to this or that when it's only about the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. Should we fight? Absolutely. Should we fight for unborn life? Should we fight for those voices that will never have a chance? Absolutely. With intercession and prayer and with generosity and giving and, and marching and whatever we can do to demonstrate that we believe that the Bible is true and we have to live by a standard or we'll just drift into oblivion like every other country does that ever abandons God's truth and morality. Absolutely, we stand and we fight, but if you think you're doing it and you're justified by the fact you're fighting on the right side, again, you're missing the power of the cross. You're missing what the cross was for. It's to come humbly before the Lord and say, God, we're lost without you. Our best intentions are nothing compared to what we've been shown at the cross. Peter goes on in verse 24. Let me finish verse 23. We've been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The new birth lasts for how long? Why? Because the seed is a forever seed. When you see incorruptible, just put the word forever. We've been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but a forever seed. A seed that goes forever because that's the nature of the seed. In the same way that the seed we were born from Adam and Eve with is going to go into the ground, dust to dust, all that stuff. In the same way, the spiritual seed will not go into that place because it's not born from this earth. It's born from above. And so when that seed regenerates and causes us to have spiritual life through faith in Jesus Christ, it abides and dwells and continues forever. And Peter says this in verse 24, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withers and this flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever, forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. I think some of us have heard a gospel that was more based around the realities of life than it was the realities of the Spirit. Because most of us primarily are concerned with the things of the natural. I care about what I'm eating for lunch. Who does too? I'm concerned with what clothes I put on in the morning. Everybody's also concerned. We have natural concerns, and if we're not careful, those are the things that we consume the moments of our life we've been given with. 
just because they're in front of us and our five senses can see them. And we miss the invisible just behind the veil of this life, realities, that we are a part of a battle and a cosmic reality and a struggle and a clash that's shaking the entire universe. And we can be completely oblivious, oblivious to it if we choose to be. Or we can become aware of it and begin to get involved in it and access that realm through faith and through prayer and intercession and begin to make differences there. I just, this message can go two ways and I'm, I, whatever I don't, whichever way I don't go today, we're going to end up going probably next Sunday. I want to preach them both, so it's very hard. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to go to Hebrews. Yeah, I guess I tried to go there initially, didn't I? I think I'll go with this because this, this came to me this morning and I'm not one of these people that know, like, God told me this or God showed me this. I, there's been a couple times when I know it was him, and then there's other times when I'll just ask, like, Lord, I just need a way to try to clarify this thought, and then I'll just I'll get a very clear picture. This morning was kind of like that, so I think since it's fresh, this is the way that we'll wrap up today. Chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 11 to 15. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people. Obviously, Hebrew was what Jews were called, Hebrews. So in verse, chapter 6, verse 11, we'll just read a couple verses through 15, it looks like. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but in worship and Sunday mornings and coming together and just seeing everybody, and, and I feel like my faith gets boosted. Does your faith get boosted? I'm assuming we come out on Sunday for a reason other than just to fill Sunday morning and get a bagel. We can hope anyway. But our faith gets boosted. But Hebrews chapter 6, there's, you could preach a series of messages on this, and many preachers do, but I, there's a specific thing that just... I feel like the Lord would like me to share this morning in conclusion. And we'll read in verse 11, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. How long do we hold on to hope? Until the end. So that you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How do we inherit the promises? Faith and patience. God's promises are without compare. Peter actually, we just read how Peter was speaking about the precious promises that have been made to us through Jesus Christ and how it's through that that we partake of the divine nature. Verse 14 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, 
because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after Abraham had patiently endured, say patiently endured, he obtained the promise. As a very old man, he was able to father a son named Isaac who became the ancestor of the lineage to the people that he's now writing this letter to all these centuries later. And he's reminding them that they came because a man, through faith and patience, inherited a promise after he had patiently endured. You hear the emphasis of this text. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, if you read Galatians 5.22, is long-suffering or patient endurance. Some translations just use the word patience, but long-suffering is one of the fruits that's listed there if you want to go Galatians 5.22. But they're fruits of the Spirit, don't forget that. They're not fruits of the flesh. No one in their flesh is naturally patient. That's why we have a fast food generation. And yes, we're paying the physical consequences for that. Ask any genuine medical professional and they will be happy to explain to you the detriment of a fast food diet if that's your exclusive way of sustaining your life. It is not intended to be your every meal. We want everything yesterday. We, the microwave's not fast enough anymore, right? I remember microwaves were like miracle machines, you know, it was just magical. And something could be hot in just a minute. They used to take five, ten minutes in a pan and It'll never be fast enough, and I'll tell you why. Because human nature is not primarily interested in patience. We want instant gratification, and the enemy knows that, and that's why our whole culture has been engineered around instant results and instant gratification. But it says that the promises of God don't come that way. Now, I hope you don't hear me preaching a message against miracles because I absolutely love miracles. And I know we have the supernatural class downstairs where we routinely see under the Cordo's ministry miracles. We see things happening in a split second that should have taken a long time to happen. And all of a sudden, something can be broken off. A deliverance can happen through someone's life. It didn't come through fasting and all this long process. It came because of a moment of faith and a gift of faith exercised on their behalf. And instantly, something changed. I love that stuff. But it says that the promises of God in this context, most of these will have to do with your character being changed into the way that Jesus' character was. These things often happen through faith and patience. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is patience, long-suffering, even, you know, if you want to think about, well, just patience, yeah, but if the word is long-suffering, patient endurance through things that aren't comfortable. This is not the kind of way I would like to inherit the promises that God has for my life. I'd much prefer the McDonald's version, and we all would because that flesh part of us would like it yesterday, but the character God's building, remember, the genuineness of our faith is what's precious to heaven. The genuineness of our faith is what's tested through fire because it's more precious than gold that perishes. This is what Peter's been talking about, but the writer of Hebrews is, is bringing us to a place where he wants us to understand faith is great. Absolutely, we have to have faith. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. Without faith, we can't please God. It's impossible. By faith, we understand the worlds that we see were framed by the word of God. But it's, it's, you cannot have 
any of this without faith. However, faith by itself is not what this writer is talking about. He says it's through faith and patience that we get to the promise part. Abraham, when we read the story, the one that he's talking about, he had to wait decades past the promise before. He had to patiently endure before he got to the point where he received the promised child that God had promised him. And so I'm speaking to that. It's not a conflict of interest here. It's just the other, it's another aspect of spiritual growth and maturity and the way God's promises sometimes come to our life. And the writer's encouraging people, don't forget, he's the author and finisher of our faith, but the joy that we set before, because of the joy set before, sorry, I jumped into the next passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going to keep going because we're getting late. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. Don't look unto your neighbor. Don't look unto the pastor. Don't look unto somebody else and see how they're running their race. Look unto Jesus, who ran his race, right? He's the one that's authoring this thing. He says, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, but he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, having completed his race, having run and provided that entrance into the eternal realm that we had no access to. He went in before us, that forerunner, right? So now we have a living hope that's anchored behind the veil because the forerunner even went before us, Jesus Christ, our high priest. And as I sat this morning just considering this, I was was like, Lord, I just, and I just, I just saw, I I, I saw a finish line. And there's like little cups everywhere. There was like bottles and like ribbon and tape. And you could, I could, there was like tables on the side. And you could almost imagine that there was a finish line marker thing. I just, I just, I just remember looking around. It was was littered, unfortunately. But I guess, you know, when you're running, you got all these runners coming across in a marathon. And, and very quickly, this all, this, the pieces all came together. And that's why I think it was the Lord saying this. And it's fresh in my heart. And it definitely spoke to me because I know I was, I was emotional as I processed what he was saying to my own heart. But imagine being in a marathon. There, sheesh. Imagine being in a marathon. Who knows how long a marathon is? Anybody run one of them? I know our brother Lou has. <laughs> I think he's run some beyond marathon runs. 26.2, is it? 26.2 miles, not just 26 miles, 26.2. There's a set marker where the finish line goes. Many runners will have gone the course before in a car or a bicycle just to get familiar with it a couple days before they run it because they want to know, kind of gauge themselves where they're at. Now imagine this. I felt the Holy Spirit ask me this because I think we're all believing God for things that are probably 100%, let's say 100% impossible unless he has to intervene, and unless he intervenes and something happens supernaturally. Sometimes it's for yourself and sometimes it's for other people. But the reality is this. Imagine running a race where you've already charted the course. You know right where the banner is. You know right where the wreath is going to get put on your head if you finish. And you get there and all there is is just scattered solo cups everywhere. A spot where the table used to be. The thing, the arch that you run through, the the ribbon that they ran, the first runners made it through, that's all gone. And that'd be pretty miserable because you'd be like, man, I ran this and nobody's even watching. But worse than that, this is what I looked to the side and it was a sign. It's a finish line with an arrow underneath pointing down the road. That makes me so mad. How unfair is that? 
Think about it. How unfair is that to a runner who paid their dues, they trained, they got fit, they make it to the 26.2 mile mark, and there's a sign that says finish line that way. That's messed up. Wouldn't that be messed up? If that happened to you, what would come out of it? I mean, you're, you're exhausted. You're spent. You put every last thing just to get to the point, right? How would that make you feel? Can you feel what I'm feeling? Just imagine it for a minute. Like, not just where did everybody go, but I made it to the finish line. I can see the holes in the ground where the thing used to go up over the top that marked where it was, but the sign says it's that way more. And as soon as I felt this thing rise up in me, <laughs> very, very quickly realized that's my flesh. Because who knows that this life that we're called to live is not a life that works according to the flesh. It works according to the Spirit. I wonder how many times Jesus got to the point where he had poured everything out. In fact, one of them is recorded. He's climbing a hill. He has the cross on his back, and he collapses. He can't go an inch further. Right? They had to pull someone from the crowd to carry his cross for him that had the strength to do it because he was physically unable to go another inch down the road to where he would be crucified. He wasn't hiding from where he, he wasn't shirking what was before him. He had nothing left in him. His blood was already largely gone from the beatings and scourgings he'd received. And yet there's a sign right alongside of him that says, I know this is as far as you can go, but the finish line's up there. That is so unfair. That is so unjust. What more was the Son of God supposed to do? He had poured everything out. He took it as far as he could. And a human being full of sin had to help him get the instrument that would destroy him to the final place. Do you see the spirit that's at work in Jesus Christ? It's not the spirit that's at work in this world. It's not the spirit that's at work in your soul that you were born with that's me first and everybody else can wait. unfair. A runner who had paid their dues, who got to that point, would have every right to say, you know what? I'm finished. I've made the race. And they could have applauded themselves and had every right to do it. And they could have called up the organizer the next day and say, hey, I want my crown. I want my ribbon. I ran the race. You guys are a bunch of... And they would have been 100% right. And if they didn't get back their money or get back whatever, they would have every right to go and sue because justice was robbed from them that moment when they stood there and they crossed that line. And I thought, isn't it great? This is what I'm starting to think, like, isn't it good that, and I'm thinking I'm going to share this in a way that says, isn't it good that God doesn't do that for us, that he never moves the line, that he's just kind of a standard? And I thought, I'm going to feel this like, yeah, and then I heard him say, how many miles? Hear this in the spirit. This isn't doctrine. You can't go out and try to write a book on this. This is a spiritual thing. He said, How many miles? Guess what he says in Matthew 5, 41, and when his disciples are moaning and groaning about how hard this thing was. He's like, when they compel you and they force you to go a mile. Right? When they force you against your will to go a mile, and you're already upset, and you're already just can't believe they took advantage of you. You had stuff to do, but a Roman soldier could grab a Jew and say, here, carry my stuff. Just for fun, they would do it. And after, he's like, bring it for a mile. There was a, the whole thing that they had argued through where they could do it for a mile. And Jesus is like, hey, when you get to the end of the mile, just say, it's okay, I'll go another one. He says, they forced you to go one. He says, don't worry about that. Go with them another mile. Finish line's just a mile down the road, servant. You cannot do that in your flesh. 
you, if you think you can, I know I can. You have to do it by the Spirit that understands what we are called to live out in front of this world is a life that says, yeah, I know it's been painful to this far, and I know this is where I'm supposed to be finished with what I'm supposed to do, but if the sign says the finish line is that way, I'm going to keep going. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying when he says, run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus. Because when it got to the point where he had nothing left, he still managed to keep going. They had to drag him there, but he went to the place that God had decided for him to go to. Folks, this, is, this applies to so many areas of all of our lives, because I know we're all facing things that we wish we could have the McDonald's variety, but it's not coming through a fast food drive through It's taken some time. This is what's so clear. This is what I want to share. Patience is learned and developed in real time. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit takes time to develop. It's because the roots are down into things that are pure and holy, and you're thinking about good things. You begin to produce the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, all these things, long-suffering. And yet that's what love's made of. Love suffers long, is kind. It's not easily angry. All these, you can't do it in the flesh. And I felt like the Lord this morning just reminding me to encourage us all, to remind us all, to admonish us, whatever you want to call it, however it's hitting your heart. Get our eyes off of ourselves. This kingdom was never about us. The Western religion and the Western doctrine of, 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 of the way Christianity is supposed to look and the bling that it's supposed to bring and all this blessing and all this stuff, it's become a kingdom of self and not a kingdom of God. Jesus said, the way this world works is opposite to the way I work. He says, if you want to be great, you got to become the servant of everybody. And then he starts to wash people's feet, the lowest job you could give yourself. This is the reality of what we're called to. You can't do it just by saying yes. You have to do it by faith. You have to do it by saying, Jesus, if you don't do this in me and through me, I cannot do it. And it's not just once on a Sunday. It's every moment of your life. It's every conversation. It's every time you pick up your two thumbs to respond to somebody. It's like, Lord, what are they supposed to do right now? We've developed a culture that's built around fairness. The kingdom of heaven is totally unfair. It is totally unfair. People that lived it perfectly got stoned in front of a whole crowd of people, mocked by them. People that were perpetrators, murderers, thieves were released from prison because the people preferred them to those who would follow God. Did the kingdom of heaven stop because of these injustices? No, it gained momentum and it advanced beyond any place anyone thought it could ever advance to. Folks, we will never reach the heights of what God has for us without suffering. It just won't happen. You can't find it in history, Bible or otherwise. Patience is learned in real time, through real disappointment, through real pain. Through real crying out, saying, God, you've got to do something. Let's stand together this morning. There's an atmosphere here where I just want, 
this isn't a message for everybody. I understand that. But there are some people where you've been just pushing against something and all the Lord wants you to hear this morning is just keep pushing. Just keep leaning forward. Keep looking unto Jesus who's already run his race. Be reminded there's a cloud of witnesses. There are those cheering us on. They saw the finish line get moved. Listen, in your natural strength, maybe you trained for 26.2. If you're walking by the supernatural strength of the Lord, how many miles can you go? Infinite. Our finish line is in heaven where the forerunner has already gone and there's a string connected to him. And every time we feel like we need it, we pull on that hope, that living hope, that eternal hope that goes beyond the veil. And we say, Father, I know you're still there. And through faith and through patient endurance, we receive, we receive the promise of the inheritance. Jesus, this morning, your promises are what matter. What you have said and what you have spoken are what matter. Your word is true, your word is eternal, and it's that very word by which the gospel was preached to to us. It is that very word that is incorruptible and never fades. The grass might fade, the flowers might fail, but Jesus, your word abides forever. Lord, forgive us for the times when we attach ourselves to soulish things, to things that just seem to comfort our soul, and we don't allow ourselves to follow your truth. The truth that sets us free. The truth that sets all men free. Jesus, we're looking unto you. The strength that we need comes from you, Jesus. So that our faith and our hope are in God. Not in what men can do for us or against us, but in you. I believe this morning is just a moment in time where we can just intentionally by faith just begin to look back unto Jesus. Maybe you just close your eyes with me this morning and wherever that place is for you, just look unto Jesus. Look unto him. What do you see when you look unto Jesus? Do you see a cross? Do you see a face? Do you see a light? What do you see? Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured what he had to endure. Lord, this morning as we look unto you, I thank you that fresh vitality and strength is being restored into the hearts and souls of people in this room, those watching online. I thank you that by your spirit you can move through time and space, that you can rekindle our hearts to know that we can trust you, Father, that your promises are not empty, hollow words, but they are full of the very nature of the divine. God, bring peace to hearts in this room. Bring promise back into the hearts of those who've lost hope. For those battling with depression, and Lord, I know there are so many. Those dealing with thoughts that would take them into dark places. Father, we thank you that it's by your light that you illuminate their heart and their mind that they would see who you really are. It's your purpose for them is eternal, Lord. It's not just of this world, but it's permanent glory and eternal relationship with you, God. Lord, as we're just standing here in this moment, I pray that you would just lighten all of our hearts. That, Lord, as we cling to this hope in God, that we would know the peace that passes understanding. And that that peace would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
Father, I thank you that wherever the finish line is, you're there. <laughs> that there's a cloud of witnesses just waiting for our arrival, God, and you, most of all, are there. You are the one who has your reward with you. And God, we run for that purpose. We don't run for the praise of men. We run for the, the, the love that you've had, the, the desire to hear that voice that says, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus, as we go through this day, as we go through this week, continue to draw us to that place of truth. Through song, through prayer, through your written word, through the voice of your spirit that would speak to us, that would show us dreams and visions and help us to understand the moments that we have left to do your will, Lord, to stand in a day when it's so much easier to just sit down. But Lord, today by faith we stand. We stand for you. We stand with you and we walk forward with you. We say, yes, Jesus, we will walk with you. We will walk with you, Lord, as you march on, as truth marches on, we will march along with you, Jesus. And we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the strength that it will take to walk a path that only you can lead us in. For your glory, Lord, for there's no praise for us in this. This is for you, Jesus. We want your name to be lifted up among the peoples of this world so that many would come to see that you're a good God and that you love us with a love that we can only understand by faith. Father, I bless these people now in your name. I thank you for each one of them and the families that they represent. And we just decree that you are with us. We believe that your promise to be with us is true and that you will never leave us or forsake us to the very end of this age.